Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Welcome to just another gorgeous summer. It's actually officially summer now. Um, and with that, I will let you know that Priscilla Bort will not be with us. She is taking some time off. Uh, and we are, however, joined by Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, it's great to have you. Great to be here, as always. Absolutely. And I will let you know, we are going to be joined uh, in the second segment by State Representative Christina Shelton. Uh, she'll join us for a couple segments to continue a conversation that will start right away here, uh, talking about the state budget and the shared revenue deal that was announced last week. And we spent some time talking about that with uh, Senator Larson. Uh, and uh, Amy Mizialko last week, but we're going to continue a conversation about that. We'll be joined by Representative Shelton shortly. Uh, but Robert, before we are, I want to kick it to you. We're now a week later. Um, the bill passed. It signed, excuse me, obviously passed last week. Uh, it was signed Tuesday by Governor Evers uh, in Wausau, not Milwaukee, it is worth noting, it was pretty amazing to see headlines, Bill to Save Milwaukee. That continues, and I do want to get your comment on this, continues to be pushed as a bill that will save Milwaukee. But it was signed in Wausau. Um, I think that will tell you that this bill is uh, <laughs> highly controversial in Milwaukee and other places. Again, we'll be joined by Representative Shelton later. She also voted against this this uh, shared revenue compromise compromised compromise robert any further top further thoughts uh about this uh deal and its relation to the state budget let's remember this thing was separated out from the state budget shared revenue is usually something that is um, part of the broader state budget package robert yeah i think it requires us to hold multiple thoughts at once so Yes, there need to be a shared revenue deal for Milwaukee, city and county, because of the Republican starving of Wisconsin's largest city and only only large BIPOC uh, majority city uh, for resources over a long period of time. So there was a crisis and something needed to happen. The Republicans were willing and they had the leverage in the negotiation. These were all about leverage, but were willing to threaten to, to execute the hostage either by putting a referendum uh, provision in there, which would be very hard given that they put strictures on the money that would be unpopular, things such as no expansion of mass transit for the city, um, police officers in schools, other things that are coming from them, not from the people who actually live here. And it, and so it was, they, they got leverage. The governor, let's give credit where it's due, his um, refusal to draw sharp lines, and therefore, his, you know, relatability and inoffensiveness has been very good for him personally, electorally. It's been very bad in terms of the budgets that have come forward, because you have to work to develop leverage and to focus public opinion. On, in, at the, you have to need to set it up so that you cut issues so that they cut your way. And you gave away 
the most top public issue, public school funding, for a still badly compromised shared revenue deal and set voucher schools on a path to be better funded than public schools, the long-term agenda wish of the right in this state without getting anything in return at the same level. So it's a it's a bargaining disaster uh, because he didn't build leverage in the process and it stands mad in stark contrast to how Governor, President Biden uh, confounded all expectations and found the leverage to force a one-sided deal his way on the uh, Republican attempt to take the national and world economy hostage with their artificially created debt limit crisis. Well, and I I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but I, again, uh, and we'll see if uh, Representative Shelton has any thoughts on this. But I, you know, I I still remain frustrated that like we separated all this out, right? I I feel like the shared revenue and, and schools funding. Everybody knew from the very beginning, even the Republicans from the very beginning said, like, agreed that there was going to be increases, that there was a serious problem that, as Robert said, cities like Milwaukee and all over the state have been shortchanged on shared revenue. Milwaukee, it's been historically tragic that they've done that and they put the city in that kind of situation. However, when you separate those leverage points where you have huge critical, I would call it progressive kind of issues, public education funding, shared revenue to, to fund the services we need our communities to thrive. And you pull that out of the broader budget debate, we lose some leverage. That that's a concern. And you so you see like Badger Care public option, Badger Care expansion, a whole bunch of other things that got removed from the budget. I feel like we lose a bit of leverage. Uh, when we remove all of those, but that's 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 neither here nor there. I think what's important, and Robert, I want to get your thoughts on this: is we're we're now in this situation where the budget continues going forward, and there's going to be a, a you know a real discussion, and we haven't heard the package yet. But Robert, it's my understanding, and we we heard this with the flat tax proposal. We're likely going to see a massive tax break proposal. Uh, coming from the Republicans today, tomorrow, <laughs> early next week, um, which is going to really belie what's going on here. The fact that a lot of public schools like Milwaukee Public School, will not even keep up. The, this thing doesn't keep up with inflation. And then we're going to give maybe $3 billion in tax breaks, largely to the wealthy. Sorry, Robert, right. your thoughts? We gave away one huge Republican agenda item, uh, essentially the, the the school voucher conspiracy to undermine public education with historic increases. Now they're going to move to give most of this surplus away uh, in, a, in a regressive way that helps mostly high income earners who do not need it. And then does so and then and sets us up for having fiscal challenges in the future. And it'll be very hard for even a Democratic legislature to raise taxes once they're lower. And so this is catastrophic. They've already damaged the revenue base for the state dramatically during the whole Walker era. And the governor has not built leverage here. The governor came out with what seemed like a strong stand that he would veto a flat tax. Then he made clear very soon that maybe he wouldn't would sign a flatter tax. So I'm sorry, any tax that is flatter is more regressive. 
And Illinois has not a completely flat tax, but a much more regressive, much flatter tax, which has been a, a, a basically an anchor around the neck of the state, and they can't get rid of it even with democratic rule. They just lost a, 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 a big referendum vote about it, 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 it recently, and so it, it, at the state level. So this is disastrous, and if we have the same bargaining tactics, he didn't lose a bit of leverage by giving away public education, but he, he left a lot of it. The two top-tier public issues, he could draw, have a lot of leverage on with vetoes because it would impact elections in 2024 where there might be fairer maps they have to take into account are access to health care and affordability and public education. And he gave one, and, and one that is bigger in, in state politics, away in this process for not nearly enough. And what does he have to bargain with now on the taxes, other than he needs to veto the whole damn thing? And he hasn't shown a willingness to do that because he signed a regressive tax last time, the last budget, and claimed victory for election purposes. Well, Look, this budget will become a, a lot more clear for folks as um, school districts start to, you know, crunch the numbers. And then over time, here's the big thing about the voucher. What makes the voucher thing very, very scary is caps are being lifted in a couple of years. And now you're like, you know, greatly increasing the funding and taking a lot of voucher schools that were quite frankly on life support, giving them not only life, but the ability to compete in a way with public schools that they've been, you know, not able to do. And so if they eat into more districts and districts start to become shrinking districts, the way the formulas it, are set up, like it will, it, this, this is not going to be good. We're not talking about massive increases for public education in this. Uh, and the other really pernicious thing is that these schools are getting fully funded for, um, uh, kids that aren't, I, I forget the term, Robert, um, uh, we're, we're MPS and other schools, uh, special yeah, special needs and development, developmentally disabled kids, right? Like, which is a big thing, grossly underfunded right now. Uh, the voucher schools are going to be funded better to take those kids, right? Like, which but they is, can also discriminate against that. I mean, it's just two plus kids and many other kids. L l let's just, so I I'm just saying to the listeners, like, we, I know sometimes people may accuse us of being, you know, overly cynical or tough on this. Check the data, go, you know, watch your districts as they go crunch the number of your schools. Look, if you live in a town, this is a very, this package is good for you. Cities, not so much. Listen to the Madison mayor. She's already said this ain't going to help them enough. This is not going to get Madison where they need to go. So it's very frustrating that two of the most democratic places like i just this let me just add, comes up school grossly administrators short. from the Milwaukee suburbs not just mps like on public radio this morning greenfield and muskego norway which is quite exurban are complaining that this doesn't do very much for them i mean this is and furthermore remember they can take the money the voucher schools and up their promotions budgets in order to poach more uh, public school students and with the caps, it'll get worse. Just yes. like Medicare Advantage is using massive resources from the insurance and to dupe seniors into signing up for something based on few, a, a few perks and not realizing that they're going to face serial claim right. denial that they would not face in regular Medicare. We got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by State Representative Christina Shelton. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are really fortunate to be joined by State Representative Christina Shelton. Christina, thank you for joining us. It's always great to join you on these great conversations, Matt. Thanks for having me. Well, we appreciate that you took the time. Uh, We'll start by just saying we always appreciate that you're a leader walks the walk. You've been involved in citizen action for years, helped create our co-op. And so we just always want to start and ground ourselves with that and just say um, we appreciate you in that way. Um, But we had you on today specifically to talk about the state budget and the shared revenue deal that passed last week and then was signed by the governor on Tuesday. And you voted against that bill. And um, you know, everybody knows we don't like it. Uh, Tell us why, um, why did you personally vote against uh, the shared revenue compromise? So I think it's really important to level set on how we got here. Um, And, you know, we've had a Republican majority in the legislature that has done incredible harm to communities across the state. And that includes the city of Milwaukee, Green Bay, Madison, but all of the places in between rural parts as well. And what you see here with this shared revenue deal is the product of years of divestment, right, Uh, neglect. Um, political choices that Republicans have made to push cities like Milwaukee onto the brink of almost collapse. And then they show up essentially now and say, you know, we're going to be the heroes of the story. We have this deal and we're going to save you, right? We're going to, we're going to come to this quote unquote compromise. And I think it's, it's a set of false choices. Um, This idea that we have to put in these poisonous provisions into a budget deal when we can simply just give cities and municipalities additional shared revenue. It doesn't have to come with these ties to school resource officers and DEI. Um, And the majority of Wisconsinites know that these are, this is a manufactured crisis. Um, And I think now more than ever, we have to have what I like to call radical solidarity with one another to stand up and push back and say, We're not going to stand for this. We're not going to have you push us into a corner and force us to make a choice um, where there are no good choices. Um, We can do better than that. And that's why I voted no. Um, My district desperately needs additional shared revenue. um, But I also um, cannot stand for the poison provisions in the, especially as it impacts Milwaukee and our, and our black and brown Wisconsinites that live down there. So that's, that's kind of where I am right now. And it's these are really tough choices because I want to deliver for my community, but I also need to stand with people around the state. Thanks for that statement and your leadership, uh, Representative. It's, it's refreshing and great. And I know you have some other folks in the legislature standing with you, but it's great to have this. And we see positively in Washington how the Congressional Aggressive Caucus helps move President Biden. So there, the, the party, the relationship with between parties within it, within a party is important and uh, keeps a leader, president or governor more in touch if they listen uh, with their whole party and all the people that voted for them. So I think part of our problem is, look, Governor Evers has strengths in his leadership. And, and you may, may not be able to comment on all of this, but whatever you can, uh, obviously, he was reelected. Obviously, he's able not to seem noxious and divisive and not to seem like a standard politician. So he's he wears well to the public. Right. But the, the weakness, which I think needs to develop and is part and parcel of that. So it needs to be figured out is 
he doesn't clearly uh, draw dividing lines. He doesn't use his immense um, agenda setting power as the only person to speak for the whole state to set up the issues so that they are on the wrong side of it. They are the ones stopping public education. On shared revenue, it's such a hodgepodge. How does it infect future elections when there are fair maps? It's unclear. And part of leadership is to put pressure on them by making them realize that they could face consequences if they vote a certain way. And so I know we've given away public education as a leverage point. I think it's disastrous that he was drawn into a negotiation that traded off shared revenue in public education, particularly given what he got. For a referendum. Yeah. A referendum. Yeah. And so and now he doesn't have that leverage. I actually think the biggest leverage he has left with the public that's a first tier voting issue is access to affordable health care and its badge care expansion. There's no evidence we can get from his office that he will use it. He will simply decide that they won't do it. And so he isn't going to call the question. The public can mobilize if he will create uh, small crises, even even uh, even uh, short term uh, impasses in the budget on issues that expose them. So you have to set up the issue. President Biden proved very adroit with that in the national in the debt crisis, also artificially generated by extreme Republicans. Evers was not as effective in dealing with their willingness to kill the hostage here, either by cutting Milwaukee out of shared revenue altogether when they've set up the conditions for a fiscal crisis or creating a referendum on something unpopular because they're stipulating unpopular uses of the money that come from the outside, not from the people in Milwaukee, not Wisconsin's only BIPOC majority large city. So I, I it seems like just like the Congressional Reserve Caucus, you're one of the people speaking to taking a different kind of stand uh, that is more effective in the in these budget negotiations and getting getting a better deal from a Republican caucus that has to be aware that the the ones in tune they might actually face competitive elections because there there very well could be different maps in twenty four. Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing is, you know, the last gasps of a dying elephant that, you know, is hell-bent on taking the rest of the state down with it as it dies, right? I mean, what's the saying? A dying mule kicks the hardest. That's what we're seeing here, right? I mean, the cruelty is the point. It's slash and burn, divisive politics to pit us against each other so that we can beg for crumbs. And I'm over it. And I think every person in this state is over it. And so what you all do beautifully, and I think which is the only path forward, which is to build a coalition that brings us all together, that fights together, that understands whether it's healthcare or public schools or reproductive care or workers' rights or union rights, that all of this is connected. Um, and when we realize that it's all connected and we fight together, that's when, we're, that's when we win. And, 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 that's what, and the Republicans know that. And they know they're on the wrong side of it so many issues. They know that the majority of Wisconsinites are with us on things, everything from public schools to marijuana. I mean, how can we have not done something on marijuana? And so when you don't have any ideas or good policy to address the growing crisis around climate and workers and families, uh, you create and manufacture crisis to distract and divide. Um, and Democrats cannot take the bait and um, must use an organizing strategy to get through this. And look, I, I obviously I'm a Democrat uh, 
but I am not an apologist for the things we haven't done well. And one of the things Democrats have not done well is trusting their fellow citizens and trusting their fellow neighbors and friends. And that's, I think, one of the things that we need to do better is to say, when we are all in this together, we create better policy and we actually can have a plan to push back. Um, it's wild to see what the Republicans are doing, but I truly, truly believe we're going to be in the majority very soon. And I can't wait to follow the lead of what you know Minnesota and Michigan are doing. It's hard as a legislator or in our case, you know, a, a, a social justice membership group uh, to influence the, the bargaining strategy of a governor, including a Democratic governor. So all we can do is try to create conditions. Uh, I, I hate it. I hate to think that we might be the dissent in a Supreme Court decision that went poorly, like uh, Judge Harlan in the Plessy versus Ferguson decision, who got a lot of uh, posthumous fame lately because he said everything that 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 laid the conditions for Brown v. Board of Education. Uh, but that does set it up for other candidates, right? To the extent you're speaking out, Senator Larson's another one who's speaking out, and there are others um, that uh, that that we are creating a pathway for the new breed of of Democratic leaders that will take back the state. I just wish we could leave them with less of a crisis because less damage has been done by this heedless and destructive majority doesn't care about governing. And in addition, set up the issues better for those elections so that at least, I mean, when you allow a huge number of popular things, marijuana legalization, paid family medical leave, child care, though child care, there was a little more attention to it, but most of them were taken out in one motion, 545 items at once. Most of the public doesn't know they were taken out and who did it. That is no service to democracy or to democratic accountability for people who would be against those things, against their own constituents. Yeah, 100%. And this is when we have a $7 billion surplus. I mean, we could really be making and taking transformational action um, for to support generations to come. And I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, look, I, I, I think it's just important for people to know that whether they agree with Governor Evers on some of these deals or whatnot, that there is a strong coalition of Democrats in the legislature that are fighting like hell for the future and to put us in the best position we can. I'm really proud of that work and it's exhausting, but it's groups like Citizen Action that, you know, having having my back gives us the courage to do and say the things needed to keep this going. So well, thank you. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk this. We're going to talk more. The state budget fight is not over. I know some major chunks that may feel that way, but there was activity this week. We want to talk about that. And there will be a a point where this uh, budget goes to the governor. So let's talk more about that and the state budget. And then also want to make sure we talk about 2024 and some of the big picture things that we actually need to lean into that you mentioned, Representative, that the people already support and the party needs to start to like shall we say have their back in a constructive way where we can win folks you're listening to the battleground wisconsin where citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we are joined by state representative christina shelton from the green bay area and a fantastic member of uh, citizen action and uh, just an outstanding a leader in the state legislature. And um, we were talking in the first section with her more about what happened with shared revenue, but we want to look forward. We are in, still in the middle of a huge state budget fight. Um, 
Representative, what do you see as some of the key things that are still out there um, that we ought to be focused on? And uh, then we'll get into the process. This is all going to play out probably uh, by the middle of July. This this should be done, if not uh, sooner. Representative? Yeah, we are hoping to wrap up this budget soon. Uh, I think people are exhausted and uh, just trying to keep up the pressure. You know, what we're going to be looking for in this budget is to continue to advocate for um, additional funding for our public schools. You know, I, I truly believe that, you know, even though uh, JFC has taken you know their motions and they've cut things like, um, you know, the Child Care Counts program and, you know, the deal with the governor around the 33 percent for special ed reimbursement rates. But I, the, the pressure needs to stay on. We, we would love to get that reimbursement rate for special ed up to 60 percent. That benefits all kids. Um, and so it's tough where we are now because we're coming to the very end of the process. But as I tell my constituents all the time, keep advocating for the things that you care about. Keep putting pressure on uh, your legislator and on those JFC members because we still can make adjustments up into the point of, of that vote. Um, so that's what we're going to be watching for. But for me, it continues to be around ensuring that public education and teachers and kids have what they need to make sure that every kid. Um, is successful in the classroom. I'm glad you brought up the special ed. I mean, this is a way that the school funding formula is fraudulent because you're not paying the full cost of something that is not only something educationally necessary, but uh, quite frankly, it's a matter of fundamental constitutional rights that special needs kids need all of the, the support that necessary to, to, to give them the right to become everything they want to be in our society, uh, to have freedom. And this is a huge difference between conservatives and progressives. We think there are certain things people need in order to be free. They only see freedom as taking away and not a certain rights to things such as guaranteed access to health care or quality public schools that are appropriate to what you need if you're special needs or or if you're in, from very high poverty uh, areas etc segregated neighborhoods etc and so it's abominable that very little was done about this despite the governor trying to do a lot in his budget it was never set up as an issue where the public understands this Right. And then voucher schools were made whole on special on special needs when they can discriminate against kids with special needs, discriminate against kids like LGBTQ plus kids and discriminate and also find ways to drum kids out who are behavioral issues and dump them in the public schools and where all the, the, the most recent uh, research, really good academic peer research is that voucher schools are not better. In fact, they're worse. And the reason they're worse is because they their teachers are not as good because they're paid poorly. They're paid like fast food workers. But we are do, leaning into this conspiracy, which is not, not fact-based. None of the folks who are doing this think about the research and actually are driven by it in any way. They're just driven by trying to attack public education, which they see as a threat to, I don't know, their, their utopian libertarian uh, vision for America, which makes no sense. It is, is counterfactual itself. But I just, I guess you said all this, uh, Representative, but I think what you're doing is critical and anything can be done in this process. Maybe you can say something about where's the opportunity to elevate these issues in the process. My understanding 
from the Senate side is we could have this, this could all be through by next Thursday. And then just waiting for the governor's veto, which if it happens then probably waits till just after 4th of July. Yeah, I think we have to have every opportunity where we talk publicly and candidly about where we are with this voucher deal. And it's, it's of course, as you all know, very challenging because um, Governor Evers, I've been such a supporter of him and he was our education governor. And, and I think uh, Representative Ryan Clancy called it a betrayal. And, you know, I know Senator Larson has been speaking up and kudos to him. It's been such a great opportunity to get to work with his office, even though it's on such a awful issue. Um, you know, this, this expansion of the voucher schools is the largest expansion of public dollars for private voucher schools in 30 years. Um, these are schools that choose their students and can actively discriminate and kick out kids um, when they choose not to serve them, unlike public schools that must serve everyone. The school choice movement positions this as parental choice, but it's actually the opposite. It is schools choosing their kids. Um, and as you mentioned, Robert, discriminating. Uh, there was a, a very extensive report about the percentage of, of these voucher schools that um, actively discriminate against LGBTQ students. I mean, one school up in Appleton um, threatened expulsion for two uh, girls, two female students who were dating. Um, and that school receives almost $2.5 million of taxpayer money. And so what I have said repeatedly is, if these private school voucher schools want to receive our public tax dollars, they should be held to the same standard as our public schools. Um, accountability, transparency, non-discrimination. Um, and, you know, to your point, Robert, there is the, the data shows that the academic outcomes aren't, aren't better. Um, but furthermore, 41 percent of these voucher schools have closed. Um, and so we have no idea where that money goes. We don't know why. Um, and so this idea that somehow, as if by a miracle, these voucher schools are going to save us from divestment in public schools, um, we have to do a better job of educating the public about the harms um, and understanding, just as we have not, like we, as Democrats, we don't negotiate around choice, right, around our abortion rights. And I'm proud that we have gotten there and we're clear about that, but it needs to be the same for our public schools. Well, I, I, let me just ask, I'm glad you brought that up. The same people who've pushed voucher schools also fight any accountability. So it's a weird position for public institutions. There has to be over accountability. We're going to grind public schools to a halt with accountability. But if we're giving money away to private actors that, oh, take the money. Uh, we're looking the other way because somehow you're good because you're not the public, because you're not publicly accountable. You don't have a democratically elected school board. I, I, it, it's very weird ideological proposition on their part in blind spot. Well, right. I mean, but if you remember, public schools provide, I mean, that's where you have the most civic engagement. That's where you have the most democratic action where people come together, not because we all agree on everything, but because we don't. And we work together to, to ensure that our schools reflect our community and our values. And so, you know, again, if you rip that all apart, then then you dismantle a society that is embedded in democratic action and civic engagement. And, you know, I think that's really the ideology of, you know, what's driving those actions around the privatization. I would like to slightly change topic slight bit. It's still on the state budget and it's actually what is going on this week. And I'd like to get your comment because you're, you're, you're a healthcare leader 
supporter of the Badger Care Public Option, which we think needs to be at the forefront of setting the public agenda heading into 2024 elections about where we ought to go. But yesterday, the Republicans, the one-year anniversary of the repeal of Roe v. Wade, voted to not offer one year of Medicaid coverage to postpartum women? This is disgusting. Uh, Explain to me how, when other Republican states are doing this because of Roe, why our mega Republican gerrymandered legislature does not understand this as a priority? Yeah, it's hard to believe that the quote-unquote political party of family values is turning their backs on families and mothers and children. And, And you all... You know, your work on this as Citizen Action as a group around the healthcare issue has been instrumental. But absolutely, again, the cruelty is the point. Um, healthcare is a human right, right? Everyone deserves and needs healthcare. Um, and walking away from that coverage, refusing over and over to take the Medicaid expansion, um, re- failing to support small businesses um, around the Badger Care expansion. I, that's one of my favorite parts of the Badger Care public option bill that we worked on together was small businesses coming to me and saying, we want to do the right thing by providing healthcare to our workers. It will help with the recruitment and retention, but also with entrepreneurship, right? Starting that small business and knowing that cost and accessibility was a real barrier for small businesses while allowing them businesses with less than 50 employees to buy into Badger Care. These are common sense solutions. Um, that families are begging for and to watch the Republicans continue to turn their backs on the most basic needs is it's unbelievable. We totally agree. And one of the things you mentioned, the Badger Care Public Option, I want to dive into this before we go, because I think it's inspiring. It's inspirational. It's exactly the opposite of what we talked about with the voucher system. It's trying to give people more access to a system, the pub, you know, a public government saying it is our responsibility to make sure folks have access to health care. Tell folks why it's so important after the state budget that we make the legislation you're introducing again around BadgerCare public option a top issue uh, in the legislature and then in the election. Well, we know from the data that folks are making tough choices, even those that have health care right now are foregoing prescription medication. They're putting they're pushing off doctor visits or, you know, some of those the tests that they may be um, recommended to have, because even if you have it, it is incredibly expensive and, and a confusing system for families to navigate. And every single person it deserves and needs healthcare. I mean, this isn't an, a, a, you know, an if, but when, you know, and, 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 and also let's talk about the preventative care, right? I mean, in terms of that cost savings in the long term. For us in my office, we're going to continue to push around the narrative and the belief that healthcare is a human right. That is a non-negotiable for us. And I believe that government must serve as an instrument for good. Uh, not just obstruction, as many of my Republicans believe that their job is. And we can look and be to what other states have done well, but also be a leader nationally on this issue. And this is the kind of bill that excites me because we get to work with organizations like Citizen Action on it. But again, it's common sense and people get behind it because they understand that it's an issue. Well, 
We appreciate your leadership on not only the state budget fight that we're in, but the visionary stuff, right? Where do we need to go? What's the stuff that will help us elect more folks around the state? We're going to have some new maps. Um, and this is an opportunity. This is an issue uh, that we can actually set out a vision where folks uh, will hopefully we can change that legislature. Representative Shelton, thank you so much for your leadership and taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much. All right. We appreciate you. And we got to go. We, we, we got to wrap up this segment here uh, and go to a break. Folks, you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank Representative Christina Shelton for joining us in the previous two segments. And of course, really do appreciate her leadership. And just also, we don't say this enough on the show. Um, probably should have thanked her on the show for this. Um, you know, these leaders also take on a lot of emotional stress in this fight and that making that vote that she took on shared revenue, as she said, took radical solidarity. And we want to thank her for that and the exhaustion that that kind of fight puts up. So thank you, Representative, uh, for that. Robert, I need to get your comments uh, on a few other things. Uh, that are going on in the state, uh, namely this week in Milwaukee, a historic climate and economic equity plan passed. It was the product of four years of uh, deep engagement uh, that a lot of folks in this community, and obviously including Citizen Action, put in to it. But it passed uh, this week, and I wanted to get your comment on not only the importance of this particular plan and its passage. But how this connects to everything else, right? The Inflation Reduction Act, what's going on in other communities around the state who are trying to figure out how to build climate plans and trying to find the resources available to actually do what we need to do to avert a climate genocide and create the economy that we all need to thrive. Robert? Yeah, there's a big moment in Milwaukee, and there could be a lot of progress like this um, in other parts of the state. Um, and this is something, you know, that there's some gratification that uh, we at Citizen Action had a vision that this was possible and that you could take the necessity of creating a sustainable economy, preventing a China climate disaster, to also look at all the injustice and inequality that's been built up in this last 40 years of corporate globalization and deindustrialization and outsourcing. Uh, which has been a corporate conspiracy with poli political, uh, you know, co-conspirators on both parties that have set this up, like the big global trade agreements, for example. And so, and they've devastated Milwaukee, but they've devastated a lot of the state. This is a manufacturing state. So Milwaukee and Wisconsin really should be very anxious to convert as quickly as possible to a green, to a new green economy. Now, the projection was since the city of Milwaukee had committed to meet the climate targets and had no plan for it, and since the climate crisis is understood by one side of the political uh, equation and by every fair-minded, educated person, and uh, not, just, not just officially educated in higher ed, I mean who pays attention, right, um, that this is a crisis and we have to respond to it and there will be eventually be federal funding. And if we built a plan, this is like, if you build it, they will come. This is if you build it, they there will be money and cities and states and counties that have a plan beforehand 
are more likely to be able to use it well. And so this has actually happened. In a nick of time, President Biden got historical climate investments in, and he wants to do much more if reelected. So it did happen, but the money has to be competed for. A lot of competitive grants, a lot of individual tax credits we won't know about unless cities spend money promoting them and helping them navigate, like you navigated people signing up for the Affordable Care Act, for example, or the Earned Income Tax Credit. And then also a lot of formula funding to states that cities can work Governor Evers and his administration to actually spend on this big job-creating investments, because there's a lot of labor-intensive stuff here, that if you do it right, you can open up the economy to people left out and dramatically reduce racial inequality and economic inequality generally. And so after four years, the city bought in. It passed overwhelmingly in the in the city council, where the common council of Milwaukee, where it was no really nowhere at the beginning. And there was a lot of buy-in from the city administration through the sustainability department. It's called the Office of Environmental Collaboration, or ECO. And the mayor's going to sign it at a ceremony on Friday. And it's a small ceremony. So both Raphael Smith, our program lead on this, and myself are invited uh, on the north side of Milwaukee. So this is exciting, but it leads to other things. Other cities are working on this and we're trying to induce them to. Wausau is now working on this with Citizen Action members being at the lead of that, for example. And But we need to make it clear to voters in this next election, Matt, who provided this transformative money and why they need to be reelected. So this is also a tie-in to the 2024 election. Absolutely. But let me also say one other thing, people. This is, uh, it's great to join our show and hear all this great insight. But if you don't get off the bench and join Citizen Action and get involved in our co ops, these things don't happen. The Milwaukee Climate and Economic Equity Plan happened because a lot of folks invested a lot of time from a lot of different groups. And we'll need that in each of these regions to do plans that matter and can accomplish the things that Robert talked about changing this economy. So please join Citizen Action. We need you to get involved. We had a conversation with Mayor Genrick this week in Green Bay about what we can do in Green Bay. We're in conversations with the mayor of La Crosse, right? We are involved in processes, as Robert said, in Wausau and Green Bay here in Milwaukee. Please join one of our co-ops where we, we need you to be involved in making sure that this actually can happen in your community. We'll put a link to how you can get involved, where you can go sign up and join one of the co-ops in your region if you live in any of those regions. If not, please join Citizen Action. Anyways, donate. We'll have links to that. We cannot make this happen. We can't make these issues happen in elections if we don't have active and engaged citizenry. And that means, and it starts with joining groups like Citizen Action. Or if you have another group that you really like, please join it and donate to it. Don't just like them on Facebook and follow them. Robert, before we go, I need, I just, we have to talk about the state Supreme Court because we're all waiting. This is going to be like, woo, get out the popcorn, right? Once Justice Protasiewicz joins the court. But even before the justice joins the court, it's been fascinating the last year or so watching the growing rift between what I would call a real conservative justice in Hagerdorn, who has principles, don't agree with a lot of them, and the rest of those clowns who are literally justices 
politicians in robes, as you like to call them, and hackery. And it, this week, uh, it really boiled over on a case uh, with Hagerdon essentially calling them out, calling out the other justices for essentially having having no no real um, what would you say it um, integrity on the basic how the how they even how they uh, do cases right their own processes having any integrity. Robert, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because this provides just a fascinating dynamic not only will there be an ostensible progressive majority but there's a riff in the conservative majority for the first time really a serious riff um in a long time robert and judge hagedorn was attacked in the election by the now twice defeated former justice kelly who, who was never elected to the supreme court only appointed by scott walker so as a great disappointment and so this is what we have been trying to say. There might well be something like conservative jurisprudence, which we don't agree with necessarily, but is actually an interpretation of the law and takes seriously legal interpretation and the role of a court. Then there are judges that are just politicians in robes and will completely change their premises and throw out previous legal theories and adopt new ones on each case to get the modern right-wing conclusion. And that's what Judge Hagerdorn is saying. And it's, here's the thing, it's sort of like Nixon to China in that it's more persuasive it comes from an unlikely suspect, not a progressive like me or a progressive judge like some of the ones on the state Supreme Court or progressive lawyers, but from a conservative. And so we should take this very seriously. A little like we should take seriously some of the former conservatives critiquing the new brand of Republican Party and how it doesn't care about breaking things or governing, right? I mean, Bob Michaels, the minority leader of the House of Representatives in the 80s, left Congress because he saw the Gingrich wing as destructive, terroristic, and not serious about governing. And we've seen that in Wisconsin at the national level. The same is true with judges, and I have to tell you, we have a lot of U.S. Supreme Court judges that tailor the law to their preset conclusions, which make which give, means they have no right to a lifetime appointment. They have no right to be a super legislature, legislature in the U.S. Supreme Court level, unelected. They were not elected here in the state Supreme Court, if they were elected, to do that, and they don't run on issues anyway. They hide their views on the view that they somehow need to remain neutral when they're not. We knew what Judge Kelly would rule. We knew. In fact, we don't actually know what Protoseans will rule. We may be disappointed in how she handles the abortion or the MAPS issue because, yes, she's a Democrat, but she is actually a judge as well. Folks, and with that, we are going to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to really thank State Representative Christina Shelton for her leadership, for coming on the show and spending a couple segments with us. And talking about the struggle, right? Uh, and how it is, right? It's one thing to be peer ideologically. It's another thing to actually go out and try to govern and be in a legislature uh, and try to improve it. And so we really appreciate her effort and coming on and talking with us about that. Um, and we look forward to the great fight with her ahead on healthcare freedom, because we think it's a, it's a, it's a huge issue that's not gone away. And it's a key to, to winning elections. And 
So, folks, join us. Get involved. Get into the game. We really appreciate you listening to this show. It means a lot to us. But it would mean a lot to us if you would join our organization and help support this democracy, which needs you. And we'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.